This week's major spoilers podcast goes out to Gregory Araujo. It took me like half an hour to learn how to pronounce that, and Rodrigo still thinks I've got it wrong. But in any ways, any case, however this began, this show goes out to you. The major spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, who will be the man without fear? What is in store for an animated webhead? Where will you run when Cthulhu awakes? Why does Batman get to meet all the cool guys? Who let that rhinoceros on this bus? And which host will devolve into giggles first? Plus, Batman's first years, and we're guaranteed at least one expletive on this show. Yes, from the elegant pump room high above Chicago, asking that musical question, is the Major Spoilers podcast yet on the air? Hey everyone, welcome to this week's issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad that you could join us for our evening of rambling and discussion about all things comic-y and pop culture Or as we call it, Tuesday. Yes, and for you it might be Wednesday or Friday. Hello, future people. The sad part would be is even if we didn't have a show, we would probably still have these discussions somewhere yeah. with well, someone. Let's put it this way, listeners. Rodrigo shows up at 7.30, and by the time we actually get around to pressing the record button, it's almost 9. Yeah. So you can yeah. you can kind of figure things out there. All, All the right. really good jokes get done in that part of the show, by the way. <laughs> All the ones that we can't air. Yeah. All exactly. right, everybody. All right, everybody, this week on the show, we will be talking about Batman Year One. We've got an early re- review of uh, Scott Pilgrim, the movie, and a whole lot more, so stick around. But right now, let's get into the news. <laughs> this week, we've got, uh, what do we got? Three stories that we can pull from. No, it's kind of been a slow week, Rodrigo. It's mm-hmm. all this post-San yeah, Diego, Comic-Con, vacation yeah, time. Ugh, slumpy, I hate Well, and it's, it's August. There's no holidays in August. It's like 7,000 degrees. Oh. August is a month where you just kind of slop around in, in damp undershorts and try not to get hit by a bus. Oh, I hate the August slump. Anyway, this week, we can talk about the Ultimate Spider-Man animated series finding its creative team. DC Showcase original shorts get collected with an original Shazam uh, uh, Black uh, Adam story. The Kilowog... Uh, might be revealed from the Green Lantern movie, and it looks like those are three. Can't have more than three, Rodrigo. Okay. You know, I, I knew a guy who collected shorts in high school, but they finally threw him out because he was doing it after gym class. Spin that wheel of <laughs> destiny. There it goes, there it goes, landing ultimately on number one. Ultimately nice. I got that. I see what you did there. Uh, The Ultimate Spider-Man series creative team has officially been announced in a uh, press release sent out by uh, by Marvel. And it's a it's a pretty good team. I think Uh, one of the big names already on there that people know about is Brian Michael Bendis, who's the one who created the Ultimate Spider-Man universe. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Man of Action Studios. Those three guys or whoever it is. uh, Joe Casey, Joe Kelly, Duncan Rolleau. And Stephen T. Siegel. And then the uh, final one that was announced on this is Paul Dini, which uh, to me is kind of a bit of a surprise. Wow. Now, not that it's a surprise that Paul Dini is is working on other projects because, you know, he has worked on his Jingle Bell series. He's done Mm -hmm. stuff for uh, Top Cow and some other companies as well. So that's not a surprise. But to go from Batman, the animated series, and all the other great stuff that has come off of that 
over to Ultimate Spider-Man, the animated series, is a bit of a surprise for me. But hey. Um, yes. Steven? Yes. Batman, the animated series, was like 25 years ago. I know. But, you know, you stick with the one that, that made you famous. Well, wasn't he still involved with uh-huh. all the JLU, JLU and all of that stuff? So yeah, clearly, um, Marvel was like, you know what? We just realized it's not the '90s anymore. We can't keep riding this X Men train. Yeah, we should we should probably get somebody who has had success in cartoons uh, in this decade. Well, cool. Well, <laughs> the good thing is, I mean, it's not a complete jumping of the ship for for Dini. I mean, he is going to serve as a creative consultant, which means. Hey, what do you think of this? That's good. Go with it. Here's $1,000 or $100,000 or how much they're going to pay him. He's also going to write the series pilot, and um, the Man of Action Studios will direct the writing staff, generate the scripts, and the story edits, and Bendis uh, will oversee the series as a consulting producer. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, By hand. I have only one problem with what we've said so far. Which is? You said that Brian Bendis created the the Ultimate Spider-Man universe. I, I... I don't believe that Brian really created much of anything. Well, I mean, he's uh, making it fresh for the new kids of today. That I'll buy. I mean, it, but it, 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 it Ultimate Spider-Man, <laughs> in a way, and this comic or this uh, cartoon version, in a way, is basically just repositioning that whole Spider-Man franchise mm-hmm. based on what we've already seen. It's not like, you know, I think the newest thing that I know of that came into Ultimate Spider-Man was probably Venom. Did they do Carnage? They yep, did. it was Clone Stacy. Okay, so, yeah, you know, that's 15 years old at this point in time. I don't have a problem with it. Now, wasn't there a spectacular Spider-Man cartoon on, like, five seconds ago? And it was spectacular. It was pretty good. Yeah, I didn't, care f- I, didn't, I didn't care for um, the stories, but I love the animated style yeah. uh, by the guy named, uh, he goes by the name Cheeks. If you go to DeviantArt, you can see mm-hmm. all of his stuff that he does. And mm-hmm. I really like his art style, but... Yeah, that was going on, and that's what a lot of people have commented on. Why did you have to cancel Spectacular Spider-Man and replace it with Ultimate Spider-Man? Litigation. (laughs) Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man. Alphabetically, the next one should be Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. Well, and and the the cartoons really kind of... It will be Web of Spider-Man. Yeah, there you go. But but they they skipped Peter Parker Spider-Man. Oh, they did skip that one. Those bastards. <laughs> How come they, the, the cartoons really harken back to that old uh, Mort Weisinger theory, though, that you have a new audience every two or three years? Well, especially in, with uh, younger set. I mean, these are they're not targeting these. I mean, this is going to run on the Disney XD channel. Hmm. And Disney, since they, they relaunched and rebranded the Disney channel as Disney XD, they have said, we are going after the male demographic of something like 8 to 12 to 14-year-olds is what hmm. they're going for. And hmm. watching that stuff every night with my son... That is exactly who they're going after. Yep. It's the Ben Tens. It is the uh, Phineas and Ferbs. It is Secret the, Saturdays. It is the Stripperellas. I mean, it's all that stuff <laughs> that that we watch on a nightly basis. So, yeah, you're right, Matthew. Every couple of years, I mean, my son, thank God, has fallen out of uh, interest of uh, that god awful naughty show. Don't even stop. Do not, that do not invoke no. that. That will filter through the ceiling and he will, uh, Daddy, I want to watch Nadia. No! Not, so, not yeah, I can understand that, yeah, every couple of years we're going to reboot this stuff. It's just too bad that they can't recognize that if they create a good product, it's going to be accessible to a much larger audience. And so, therefore, maybe they want to stay with a particular storyline or a particular wasn't show. Wasn't, though, that spectacular Spider-Man show done through WB? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, WB, CW, one of those two. It was yeah. it was done through Kids WB. Ah, and they can't and, and they closed. Kids WB right. tanked. Basically. Yeah. Really, that's that's probably what happened to that show. And rather yeah. than try to sell it yeah, somewhere like else or whatever, because oh, yeah, there's no. probably ownership issues, just mm-hmm. like there are right now with the Spider Man movie. Marvel can't do a Spider Man movie because Sony has the rights to that. So that's it makes right. a lot of sense. And Sony's going to keep uh, pitching projects until yep, just to keep that property alive. Yep. Then we'll get an awesome uh, Spider-Man movie in which Mr. Fantastic is just made out of slinkies. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't give him ideas, Rodrigo. <laughs> oh, please. I've seen the Corman movie. They've done that already. Okay, everybody. You can uh, voice your concerns, your opinions, whatever, on the Ultimate Spider-Man animated series by clicking on the link in the show notes or heading over to Majorspoilers.com and just doing a search for Ultimate Spider-Man, Paul Dini, Brian Michael Bendis, and a lot more. Also over at the website, you might find a couple of uh, articles that came out this past week very interesting for you. How about, uh, we were just talking about animated movies. DC, Warner Brothers has a huge history of these great, fantastic animated shows. Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, the Batman Superman Adventures, <laughs> Justice League, Justice League International. Just, Justice don't League. let any bias slip into your adjectives there, Steve. Oh, I'm not. Oh, no, no, no. There's Seriously, no though, whatever. I mean... What like there have been no other companies that have put out really any good superhero movies mm-hmm. or superhero shows, shows. really all yeah. that much. I mean, you can count Ben Ten and stuff right. like that. But, yeah, yeah. Um, and if you look at the Marvel side, Marvel was like, uh, "Hey, let's just go over to Warner Brothers and do our stuff," which you know gave us uh, Wolverine and the X Men, right? But and that's about all that Marvel has right. done with that. Yep. Well, when you watch these uh, DC animated shows, Batman Beyond, forgot about that. And you're watching it, and all of a sudden, Granny Goodness appears, and she's like, "Ooh, Superman, I'm going to, you know, you think it's they got Andrea Romano hired, you know, some great old lady to do it. Mm-hmm. No, Ed Asner, Lou Grant from the Mary Tyler Moore show doing that voice. Nice. Yeah, that, that was very clearly Lou Grant, by the way. It's such, there's a lot of surprise guest stars in the uh, The DC best part about it is uh, if you look at... The design for Granny Goodness, <laughs> looks it looks like, like him. Ed Asner. Well, that's right. So what we uh, did a top 10 this uh, past week, the top 10 surprise guest stars in the DC animated universe. Go and look, and, and we've put side by side the actor with the uh, character that they, they portray. And you're right. There is a lot of similarity between the two. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Michael Ironsides as uh, Michael Ironside as Darkseid, mm-hmm. the facial features are scarily uh, uh, close to one another. So go over there and check that out. Also, if you want to uh, join in on some of the discussion about who will be the next or who will be the next man without fear or who will be the new man without fear, I think it's going to be the Newman without fear. That's what it's going to be. Newman. Exactly. Uh, There's a a guest opinion that we had last week up on the site. You can go check that out. Or if you are interested in Marvel characters like Howard the Duck, George Lucas's greatest movie failure. (laughs) Uh, You know what? If you mention that movie again, I will kill you. You can go check out the hero history that Matthew wrote up this past week covering everything Howard the Duck. It's all over there at Major Spoilers. Except for that god-awful movie. And apparently someone said four issues that you didn't talk about, which I didn't know what that was about. But anyway. uh, There was a four-issue miniseries that uh, – and, and I'll tell you the truth. What happened was there was nothing in it that screamed out for inclusion, so I didn't really – I glossed over it. Ah. There are jumps. There are like 10-year jumps in the hero histories. Well, when you're, doing a, when you're doing a hero history, you can't be all-inclusive. Oh, I mean yeah. some people have done some good attempts at, at trying to be all-encompassing, but really when you talk about – Spider-Man meeting uh, the Green Goblin. There are only probably 10 major story arcs featuring the Green Goblin. 
and not and every really, single parent's And really, and really not even all of those would be actually important. Yeah, yeah, there, are, yeah. there are four good goblin arcs. There's who is the green goblin, Gene is her. Uh, what Gene. is the green goblin? How is the green <laughs> Which goblin? Which is the green goblin? Is the green Why goblin? is the green goblin? There's the one where, uh, what's her face? Gwendol- Gwendolina gets thrown off a bridge. Yeah. There's his return from the dead, and there's the one where he pays an actress to pretend to be Aunt May and get killed. And then uh, what about the recent um, the recent uh, dark? There are only four stuff. good goblin hearts. <laughs> well, he's not there's, really the goblin in those. Oh, what is, who right. is the green goblin? There's throwing Gwen off a bridge. Uh. <laughs> All right, all of that stuff and a lot more over at Majorspoilers.com. Please check it out. And if you would like to help out Major Spoilers and get a little recognition in the process, we can use your help by uh, having you donate a little bit of money each week to the cause. There's a donation button on the front page of the Majorspoilers.com website. Click on it, make a donation of $10 or more, and at the top of the show, we will dedicate an episode to you. And we've got a lot in the stack, but, you know, we're always willing to add more to that growing list. All right. Anything else, gentlemen? Let's get to uh, let's get to some reviews. If we uh, got nothing else to talk about at the moment, actually, we've got plenty of things to talk about. Yes, we do. It. Matthew, irredeemable number sixteen, Mark Wade. Yes, irredeemable and inconceivable, or in what? What's the other one? I don't remember. Unpredictable, incontinent, uh, incontinentable. Intractable. Did there you ever are two see, books. I'm sorry. Did you ever see? Sorry, just real quick. <laughs> did you ever see that animation that said that um, basically the word Darth in Sith just means in? Oh, really? Yes. Because it's Darth like Darth Sidious is Insidious and Darth Vader <laughs> is Invader. <laughs> Thus, right. you have guys like Darth Continent, yeah. Darth Turment. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay. What's going on in the in the world of good guys gone bad, Matthew? And bad guys gone good. Well, recent issues of Irredeemable have been actually pretty filled with the fighty-fighty because the Pantheon, or the the Plutonians' former team, and I can't even remember their name. I want you to know, I don't know why, but I cannot form a coherent thought this week, and I apologize in advance. The Paradigm. (laughs) You remember how I promised that expletive? (laughs) Fire truck you, Mr. Schlecker. (laughs) The Paradigm actually went into battle with the Plutonian, and one of their members, the Survivor, who used to be called something else, actually ended up fighting a demon named Orion. This issue starts with Kaydan, who's the really cute little Asian girl whose power is bringing up the ghosts of the stories she was told as a child. Oh, right, right, right. They actually, last issue, we lost Volt, who was not Black Lightning, in combat. And uh, she's having her little breakdown, and there's a really cute sequence. It's really sweet, actually, where Cubit, the Brainiac 5 type, starts talking to her about Volt and trying to make her feel better and making her tell a story about Volt and how much, you know, all the wonderful things that Volt did. At the same time, Gilgamos is breaking up with his wife, Betty Noir, and God, I love these names. Gilgamos and Betty Noir have a big breakup scene because, of course, she slept with the Plutonian, And more horribly, she kept the knowledge that Plutonian had a weakness secret from the rest of the team. Um, The big villain, the Lex Luthor type, is now in the brain of Samsara, who's essentially Jimmy Olsen. And the Plutonian lets a man kill his family accidentally, and it's all very horrifying. And the man is there, and he's like, what if I told you I could use my powers to reverse time and bring your family back? And he brings this man to the edge of despair and makes him beg. He's like, please, yes, anything. Plutonian's like, well, I can't. Bye. 
And it is <laughs> it is the biggest dick moment since pretty much the last burn you threw at me, Steve. <laughs> but the issue ends with a, a really fascinating revelation that I think is really actually kind of cool. Uh, throughout this whole thing, she's been talking about her friends, about Volt. Kaden's been talking about her dead friend. And the issue ends with Cubit, the smart guy, asking her how powerful she is because the stories she has been telling have brought up the superpowered ghosts of all of her dead teammates. Uh-huh. So Kaden has, in fact, resurrected all the dead heroes of the paradigm to kill the Plutonian? I don't know. The thing about Irredeemable that surprises me is when it started out, it seemed like it was 12-issue miniseries material. You know, Superman goes bad, and the Justice League mobilizes and takes horrible things and then stops him. But as it's gone on, their world, the world that they live in, has gotten really weird and nuanced. And each character has their own life and their own path. So they're not just like, here's the Black Lightning analog. Here's the you know Superman analog. The characters have these weird backstories, and everybody has little peccadillos and perversions and things that are just really messed up. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we throw in the existence of Max Damage in Max the uh, Incorruptible title, which is kind of the flip side of this. Bad guy goes good. And, you know, the the world and the stories that they're telling kind of start to remind me a little bit about Ast- like Astro City, mm-hmm. where it's not about the superheroes at all. It's not about... Superman has gone bad. How do we stop him? It's about this character has basically inverted everything that he ever believed in and has, you know, gone off the deep end. How does that affect the world around them? So I like that. And in a way, it's fascinating and it's perfect. And in a way, it's like, when is the Justice League going to come together and kill the villain? Because, you know, your brain wants to have that big, you know, crisis, excuse me, crisis number 12 ending where everybody comes together to fight the anti-monitor. Mm-hmm. So I really liked this issue because it, you know, it develops everyone's story. It gives everybody a little moment. We see a little bit about what's going on in their minds and not just the big action sequences. Right. And it, if I'm reading it right, and I may be reading too much into it, irredeemable and incorruptible seem to be working towards a collision because the only character who in the whole world who is anywhere near the plutonian's power level is max damage max damage and i'm wondering if the whole thing of the bad guy gone good and the good guy gone bad eventually they're not going to have to take each other out but i wanted to cover incorruptible this week but it turns out it was uh, an older issue it was outside of our window so in either case that's out your window five. look out it's right there <laughs> it's max damage it's the phone calls coming from inside the house <laughs> uh check the children <laughs> <laughs> but incorruptible i'm gonna say three no three and a half slice uh, three and a half slices of meatloaf overall okay very good title P- i think peter krause not that peter krause but i think peter krause is back this issue doing the art and i really appreciate that either way it's a good strong issue and it's one that manages to Explore the universe and, you know, explain more about the characters without feeling like it's all filler. Very good. Very good. Speaking of uh, going to check the children, coming out this week from Boom Studios is The Calling, Cthulhu Chronicles number two. Holy crap. Starts off with a kid kidnapping, Mm -hmm. being abducted some years ago from the park. 
and then it leads us right into the main story. Now, what happened in the first issue, and this is this is probably one of my biggest complaints with some of the books from Boom Studios, is they're a limited issue series, so you don't have a lot of time to get acquainted with the characters. And because of the long you know month between issues, you can forget what's going on. That's what happened with the uh, the second issue is I had to remember what was going on. In the first issue, this boat uh, crashed ashore and everyone on this cruise ship was dead. Uh, and the interesting thing is everybody on the ship was accounted for, all died from some cerebral hemorrhage. But there were five other people that they couldn't account for also on the ship who died from cerebral hemorrhage. And we find out in this issue they all have this weird, like, tentacle tattoo on their on their hand with a big eye. And people are starting to try to question what's going on, even though the government's clamped down a great deal of it. Mm -hmm. uh, One of the uh, central characters, women, her husband had died. She works for an insurance agent, so she's trying to investigate on her own to figure out what's going on. And we start to see these connections that these five people all had come maybe from an orphanage at one point, even though they're not really sure what orphanage. Uh, They have this weird tattoo on their hand. Um... It's all just very creepy, right? So that's what's going on on the one hand. We're trying to find out what's going on with the ship. On the other hand, we've got uh, Clayton Diggs, who works for a pharmaceutical company uh, selling it. The, he reps this uh, um, drug called Brighton, B-R-I-T-E-N, which does uh, seem to play a part in the death of, of at least one person in this issue. It's all very confusing. Clayton Diggs's sister uh, went crazy just days before the ship ran aground. She kept saying that uh, all the people on this ship were dead, even before anyone knew of it. She kept saying that there was this man whispering in her ear, telling her what was going on, and when her boyfriend would take pictures, there would be no one standing there when the picture was taken, but when the picture was developed, (gasps) he was standing right by her ear. Was it a crazy Arab? No, it wasn't. It was somebody in in, in robes, though, but we don't Uh. know who it is. He's cloaked. So Clayton ends up getting getting a picture of himself taken and the mysterious stranger is there drawing ever closer. In this issue, he's down in his basement and he finds a Polaroid and he's like, ah, this is all bunk. Someone's trying to pull a fast one on me. Takes a picture as it develops. The stranger is behind him. Ah! But fortunately, someone comes to his rescue. This was, uh, the this story takes place in present day. Uh, this man comes up and says, hey, I can help solve all your problems of this mysterious man. Why? Because, and he holds out his hand, and he's got this tattoo printed in his palm. And he says, my name is Stefano. And that ties back to the beginning of the issue. This was the kid that was abducted mm-hmm. years and years before. So we really don't know a lot of what's going on. We can piece together that there is a Cthulhu cult that's trying to awaken the old ones, or at least prepare the uh, universe for mm-hmm. the return of the great old ones. Um, but... It's a lot of confusing moments in in this issue. And again, if you haven't read the first issue, you're going to be confused. I think there's just enough little hair-raising-on-your-arm moments to say, hey, this is, a, this is really fun. But, Rodrigo, if you're going to pick this up, you really need to read the first one. Okay. And you really don't need to know a lot about Cthulhu, the Cthulhu mythos, because it's kind of like... We're playing in that universe. It's, it's probably better even if you don't, just so that, You don't want to go mad. Yes. Yeah, definitely. The, l- the, the less you know about Cthulhu, the better. Yes. Yes. So, this, you know, I thought this was a fun issue for, you know, someone who is following along with what's come before. Um, I'm going to give it three slices of meat, meatloaf out of five. Uh, Cthulhu 
uh, Chronicles, uh, The Calling, Cthulhu Chronicles number two, written by uh, Jonathan Stokes and Michael Allen Nelson, who just uh, recently did Hexed, which was a series that I really, really enjoyed. And uh, Jonathan Stokes doing the, the um, also writing on that as well. So it's an, it's an okay book. Rodrigo, what do you got for us? A new book coming out also this week. Yes. Prince of Persia, number two Ooh. from Dynamite. Here's here's interesting. Here's what's interesting and something that I didn't catch just until now. I'm, I'm holding the the, uh, the book right now, and it has a Disney logo on it. Right. It's Disney, Prince of Persia. Yeah, this is an official lead-in to yeah. the uh, Prince of Persia movie, movie, which is odd because it was that, all based on a video yes. game to begin with, right? Yes. So... Um, multiple video games. Um, the Prince of Prin- Persia franchise is actually pretty old. It's kind of the the one that pioneered hanging on to ledges. I remember That's how when old Pong it is. was first come out. Remember Prince of Persia Pong? Yes, Prince of Persia Pong. <laughs> <laughs> I drank that once in Calcutta. <laughs> or as they, really good stuff. They strain people, it through a sugar bowl, I believe. As people in the know call it, the P3. <laughs> um, um, Prince of Persia is pretty interesting. It It's taken... It definitely has this uh, Thousand and One Nights feel. Um, as we start this issue, um, this kind of sketchy merchant and his band of slightly less sketchy assistants are trying to explain to this uh, king... Um, where they got all this money that was essentially confiscated from them um, and that belonged to the treasury. And he's like, no, 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 the prince gave it to us. And he's like, I don't believe you. And presumably the issue prior to this was the story of how the prince gave them the money. Right. Um, which I haven't read. Because um, I was like, ooh, here's a number two. This is probably a terrible a great jumping, jumping on, on point. point. Yes. <laughs> um, so what this book is is... His knife thrower, because this is kind of like a con artist, circus performer type guy. His knife thrower tells a story and he's like, no, no, I will account for my master's uh, great honesty. So he starts telling his story about how he was captured and he was a slave and um, how his master tried to buy him, but somebody else wanted him more. So he let the other person have it and how great and magnanimous he is and everything. And, of course, as this is going on, you see the images, and they don't match up at all. Every time he says, oh, my master was magnanimous and wise, he is getting thrown out of there Uh, for being unruly. And um, basically, he's telling this story that runs completely counter to, from what the images lead you to believe, what happened. Um, It's pretty interesting. It's fun. It's fun to see how things kind of go wrong for these characters, but he kind of just completely glosses over them. Um, and how this character, um, came to hang out with this group of miscreants. Um, after that, he's like, well, you're a slave from far away, so I cannot, like, the king is like, so your testimony pretty much means nothing. Then the woman that they're with steps up and says, well, I can attest to his tribe's, uh, honor. And then tells a story about a slave girl who used to, um, who was basically part of this, like, very particular harem, um, basically designed to 
show soldiers what they would get in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. They basically drugged the soldiers, took them there. They spent one night with all these girls and then brought them back so that they would not fear death, basically. Here are your virgins that you're going to get. Right, right. Here's a taste of heaven so that you will not fear death. Mm -hmm. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, So this, one of the tribes members meets her before she becomes a slave and goes back to rescue her, rescues her, and then instead of escaping with her, he um, lets her go. And runs back to phase the people that are chasing them and dies in the process. So she's like, you know, I have never met a more honorable man than this guy. So they're kind of in a roundabout way trying to corroborate each other's stories. It's pretty interesting. Right. It's actually way, way more interesting than I expected out of this book, honestly. I was really thinking I was just going to see Jake Gyllenhaal jump from (laughs) wall to wall for 20 pages. But we got a lot more out of it. Um, It's nice to see the... Um, the Arabian Nights, Thousand and One Nights format mm-hmm. used. Um, I'm starting to feel that you can't have a book that has quote unquote Arabic themes because you know Persians right. aren't actually Arabs, right? Um, without going into the directly into the Thousand and One Nights um, motif, mm-hmm. but that's something that's out there and that hasn't been exploited too much. So maybe eventually we'll get tired of it, but for now it's nice and it's nice when it's used properly. Do you hear and that Hollywood? The thousand and one nights hasn't been raped enough. So it honestly, it. it really hasn't go for it. The thousand and one nights are a freaking gold mine and Hollywood has not gone anywhere <laughs> near it. And mark my words, as soon as they realize it, as soon as they hear this not, podcast, as soon well, as they can pronounce Scarazad. And and honestly, I think part of the issue is that they are Arabic. Yeah. Um, then again, we just had a movie called Prince of Persia. I guess nobody told the people that were going to that movie that that's actually a movie about Iran. You know, right, I mean, right. that's that's you know, that's who Persians are. Right. Um, but that you can always just gloss over that. Sure. Put some white people in it. Yes. Cast a guy with the last name <laughs> of Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Um, can you say that again? Because Rodrigo saying Gyllenhaal is about the funniest thing today. Gyllenhaal. Hi, I'm Roger Gyllenhaal. Have you met my sister, Maggie? <laughs> um. <laughs> she's a she's an executive assistant. Um, Hello. All in all, I'll. You know what? This is definitely at least three slides. Oh, the art is pretty good. Um, it anytime somebody steps up to tell a story, the art changes. Oh, cool! Again, something yeah. we've seen before, but something that's done very well. I mean, right. it's not this book isn't like just groundbreaking, mm-hmm. but it's just very solid. Right? You know, everything it sets out to do, it accomplishes really well. Well crafted, pretty solid. I'm gonna give it. Three and a half slices of meatloaf. Three and a half slices of the meatloaf from Rodrigo. So pretty, you know, above average Definitely. round of books this week. You can check out Prince of Persia number two in stores this week, as well as uh, The Calling, or I'm sorry, The Calling Cthulhu Chronicles number two, also new this week. Or you can uh, look back in new last week and pick up Irredeemable number 16. So there you go. Um, uh, something you said earlier. Rodrigo struck something to me that we may have to talk about down the road, but now it has slipped in my mind, and since my mind is preoccupied with something else, Matthew, let's get to the... It's time. 
each week we say pow. And for some reason, Stephen's stuck on Wolfmen. We don't know why. But this time, it is time for the time. Which Have is you the time. seen my arms? That is the <laughs> pow. All right, we did promise last week that we would uh, beat this uh, this topic to death. And whoever fee- whoever wins this week, next week fights Wolf Blitzer. No, no, I think uh, they're supposed to take on, uh, what's his name, from Harry Potter next week. Arsenio Lupin? Yes. <laughs> or, or maybe Draco Malfoy. Yes. So this week we took last week's winner, which turned out to be David uh, Kessler mm-hmm. from An American Werewolf in London. And we threw him in the ring with uh, Lawrence Talbot from the uh, most recent Wolfman remake with uh, uh, Benicio Del Toro in it. Again, Lawrence Talbot is also the character from the original Wolfman movie. Well, but that's why I said from the most recent Wolfman movie, because I think the ultimate one is they have to go up against the original Juan yeah, Cheney Jr. Think so? Ooh, yeah. good call. All right. So, Rodrigo, who did you vote for? I voted for David Kessler. Why? Um, I think that um, it's kind of a... Um, David Kessler was much more blindsided by it, it seemed, mm-hmm. um, on account of not living in a giant ca- spooky castle <laughs> right? where weird things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and thus is a lot less in control of the wolf when it happens. Um, also, the the design of the Benicio del Toro Wolfman is almost super great, except for the nose. Yeah, like, a lot of people I complain think, about the nose. I think the nose is cute. <laughs> you don't like cute noses on, it, on your it wolf, just man. It doesn't work. And, and, and I understand, because I've seen other werewolf stuff. Like, if you look at just the absolutely god-awful American werewolf in Paris, Paris werewolves, yeah. mm-hmm. um, they had, like, snouts. They didn't right. really have wolf faces. They were just kind of, like, m- weird mangled things. And they didn't look like wolves, right. which made it look weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I understand what they were going for. They wanted to stay close to the Lon Chaney Wolfman while still making him scary. Um, maybe if they had tried to elongate the, the face a little bit. I don't know. I don't know what they could have done. But he looks like a scary teddy bear, which is still kind of cute. <laughs> so Teddy Ruxpin has come for your soul. That's right. David Kessler for Rodrigo. Matthew, where did you uh, vote? Well, I had three problems. And speaking of Teddy Ruxpin, if you'd put your wasp cassettes in a Teddy Ruxpin, it was pretty friggin' awesome. Um, I had a problem, A, with the nose. Just There's something precious about the overall look of... of the latest Wolfman that bothered me. Secondly, I haven't seen the new movie. And third of all, Rodrigo recommended mock- I liked it. Did you? He yes. mocks me for my high school Spanish, but even I know that Del Toro means of the bull, and the director should have been Benicio Del Lobo. <laughs> so I had to vote David Kessler. All right. I went uh I went with Lawrence Talbot from the Wolfman, just because he looks, in my mind, a little bit scarier, not as Makeuped up mm-hmm. as uh, as David Kessler does. Spider you Lover vote for the CGI. Spider Lover said, "I went with Talbot because David died by some gunshots from regular cops." Meh. CGI versus makeup debate aside. Uh, oh, uh, meh. CGI versus makeup debate aside, which makes no sense in a battle to the death. David didn't look savage. He looked like a puppet. The only problem I have with Talbot is his nose. That nose. Well, the nose knows. 
And right now, we actually, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that we don't have more votes. We're just shy of 200 votes, 195, mm-hmm. according to my update. Yep. We are exactly 50-50, yeah, this which, is, uh, by the way, is impossible because 195 is an odd number. Yep. But essentially, right now, we're running neck and neck, 90-some-odd people on each side of the battle. I refresh, it still says 195. So what I'm going to say is 97 and a half people voting each for Talbot and Kessler. Yep. It's really odd because uh, even from, I thought there was a problem with the polling system. Mm -hmm. Because I really thought, oh, it's like every time I would check on it, it's 50-50, 50-50, Until this afternoon, it was like, um, it was like um, fifty-two, forty-eight. I think mm-hmm. at one point who was today. leading, and then at that time it was Lawrence Talbot leading. Yeah, and then see when I voted, Talbot was also leading. Yeah, and now it's back to fifty-fifty again. Yeah. So this could be our tightest, our tightest race ever yeah. that we've had. And this one's uh, going to get hairy, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, definitely. And so, um, yeah, maybe next week we will take uh, Wolfman Jack versus Wolf Blitzer and see what happens. So. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. All right, everybody, you can cast your vote in this all-important Major Spoilers Poll of the Week by heading over <laughs> And the winner of the that website. match fights Dog the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to uh, hear a, an advanced review of the Scott Pilgrim movie, which opens up this week. <gasps> We've got some comments about year one and some other things, so stay tuned. Howdy, folks. I am Jordan the Geek, and I'm here reviewing the movie Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Right. First, let's start off with the things I liked about this movie. Right when it first starts, from the minute that 8-bit Universal theme song plays, you know it's on. This movie is amazingly well-paced. It's almost two hours long, but never feels like it's dragging. They keep a perfect balance of humor and action throughout the movie. They cut out some of the humor parts of the book, but it doesn't feel like they cut out too much, just enough to keep things in a good balance. And the fight scenes are beautiful, both choreography and the visual effects together looks amazing. And the music sounds just like you imagine it, too. Sex Bob-omb is really, really bad. The Clash of Demon Head have that uh, commercial pop rock sound. And with the accompanying visual effects, it's like looking at a visualizer with a media player as the music is being played. And I completely agree with the filmmaker's decision to take out the whole glowy head thing that Ramona had, because that was kind of confusing in the comic book. Now, what I didn't like, I don't think knives really fit, because knives in the book, compared to the other characters, is crazy over the top. Now, in any other circumstances, she would be a totally over-the-top character. But with this movie, she really wasn't. She was just like any other character. And I don't think they gave enough development time to Envy Adams' character because they cut out a lot of her sc- what would have been her screen time near the end of the movie. And this totally changed how the movie ended. And Gideon was developed completely differently in the movie compared to the book. In the movie, he's a lot more geeky instead of the uber-cool guy that everyone wants to be with. But overall, this movie is fantastic. I'm giving it 4.5 out of 5 slices of meatloaf. If you have any love for the book 
or love for comics or love for comedy, go see this movie. You won't regret it. Hey guys, this is Nick. Um, guys, I love the show. Um, got a story about you guys did a, a, a show about uh, gays coming into comics and how there was a gay character in Archie comics. Well, I love Alpha Flight. I've loved Alpha Flight since I was a little kid, probably in fourth grade. North Star is my favorite character. Um, then, you know, he comes out in issue 106, and it was it was like an amazing time, right? Because there was no other gay characters that were in the limelight other than, like, um, Pied Piper in Flash. Um, then I went to a Comic-Con in 2000, and I found an issue of 106 there for sale for, like, five bucks. And I noticed a small tag on it that said, North Star's a fag. And I looked at the guy, and I was like, you can't be serious, can you? I mean, it's 2000. I mean, really? So I got it for 250. So I still have it. If you guys want to see it, I can bring it to you guys or send a picture of it. Um, thanks, guys. Love the show. Bye. Hi, my name is James. Um, just wanted to comment on Batman Year One by Frank Miller. I picked it up in addition as part of a hardback combination with the Dark Knight Returns and Santa Claus Wanted Dead and Alive, all written by Frank Miller. I gotta say, Batman Year One seems to be a nice bookend, more or less, for the Dark Knight. It uh, develops Batman's character that you see further in the Dark Knight, Return of the Dark Knight, that is. And uh, another interesting aspect is it dwelled a lot on the development of Jim Gordon as a major character, too. I mean, before then, in the Batman books I read, he was merely there to serve as the person who feeds information to Batman. And all things considered, they really fleshed out the character with this story and made Gordon a compelling uh, partner to Batman's activities. Thanks again for the great show, guys, and keep up the good work. Hey, Stephen, Matthew, and Rodrigo. This is Alan calling in to give my thoughts on uh, Frank Miller's Batman Year One. This is my first Batman comic, and my only knowledge of the Batman story, like, so far, comes from Christopher Nolan's films and that awesome animated series from the 90s. Basically, the idea of splitting the story between Commissioner Gordon and Bruce Wayne is pretty brilliant, fascinating, and I thought it was super well written because uh, it's, it's very, they, they live very different lives, and the way that they interact with each other and eventually meet is all the more satisfying because of their separate stories with Commissioner Gordon and his wife and his problems with the corrupt police and Bruce Wayne's ex- trying to accept his family's death, his parents' death, and just trying to make a name for himself and cleaning up the city. Uh, I was expecting this to lead to some confusion going back and forth, but the, like, the text boxes alleviated that problem with Gordon being in sort of a notepad text because he's a cop and Wayne sort of looking like he's... Be- Bruce Wayne looking like his words are being scribbled in letters... Uh, Mazik Chelly's art is simply is amazing, and I just it makes the whole corrupt world of Gotham City just pop out of the pages. And it was really well paced, intelligent, awesome. And every every panel was beautiful and used well, and it didn't seem like there was anything wasted in the production of the story. I was really glad to pick this this one up. I I wasn't sure if it was worth the money or anything. I started looking through it, and it's really good. I re- I would recommend it to anyone. It's a good jumping on point for for people who are interested in Batman or just really interesting sort of detective crime stories. I love the podcast and everything you do. Bye. Hello, we are back. 
Yes, we are. And I want to thank everybody for their comments this week. So many good comments. Mm-hmm. Some good year one comments. Uh, some a great Scott Pilgrim review, yeah, and then uh, some the other comments as well, and we appreciate each and every one of you that have uh, that s- yep. have sent stuff in or have contributed to the website by going over to the uh, forums. You know, uh, in addition to this um, Scott Pilgrim review that we had, you might want to go over to the forums. Uh, number one spoilerite Julian mm-hmm. wrote what I thought was a great review of Scott Pilgrim versus the world, the movie that opens this weekend that he was able to see in San Diego. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you might want to go over there and check that out in the forums. I know it's funny. I, lo- I, didn't, I, love I didn't want to read it at first because I'm like, oh, it's going to have spoilers. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I already know exactly <laughs> what happens. I've read the comic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and you love it when people, you know, bring some, some positive, constructive stuff to it. I love it when we get that on the forums and in the columns. So, Well, speaking of, you already know how it ends. Let's kind of flip that around. Batman Begins was a huge movie yes. a few years ago from, um, from director Chris Nolan and Warner Brothers. That essentially was retelling the Batman origin story. Mm-hmm. This week, we're taking a look at Frank Miller... Uh, Miller's Batman Year One mm-hmm. uh, with art by David uh, Mazzucchelli. 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 Uh, it yes. ran in 1987 in uh, Batman issues 404 to number 407. And at that time, the only other... Well, I mean, Frank Miller had done some, some Batman stuff before, but really most people knew what was going on with Frank Miller in the form of The Dark Knight Returns, which was taking place at the end of Batman's career. Mm-hmm. Year one takes place literally in that first year of, right. of Batman's life. <laughs> and it focuses on Batman and Jim Gordon, or Bruce Wayne and Jim Gordon, both coming back to uh, Gotham City. Well, mm-hmm. Jim Gordon getting transferred to Gotham City and having to deal with all of the corruption that's present, whether it is... Police corruption that that Gordon runs into right away and doesn't like, and which mm-hmm. leads to corruption that he sees all the way up the chain. All oh, the yeah. government officials are corrupt. Uh, everybody's in league with the mob, all this stuff. And then we have Bruce Wayne, who comes back thinking that he's going to clean up the city in some way. And so he goes out vigilanteism at night, mm-hmm. being a vigilante and trying to strike fear in the hearts of men. And it doesn't go right. Right. You know? And uh, until he discovers this this bat character, so it's it's even though it's four issues, this thing reads like it's a twelve issue story yeah. in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, what were some? Was this the first time that you had read this, Rodrigo? This is, this is the first time that I'd read. I want one, to get yes. your initial impression of this series. Um, I guess my my very first impression was how much of this got put into Batman Begins. Like mm-hmm. it is, it is very reminiscent. There is, there are a lot of moments. The, um, in particular, there's the, and also not only in Batman Begins, but um, the, the Dark, Dark Knight, Knight yeah. movie, because there's the whole part about my son's been kidnapped, save my boy, right? Which I don't know. The first time that I read this book, and I read it when it first came out, kids, um, I was not aware that Gordon ever had. A, a son. son, you know, because all this time we're like, Barbara Gordon is da- his daughter. Barbara Gordon is his daughter. No, Barbara is his wife, his Jim Jr. or whatever his son's name is. Mm-hmm. Tony. And we don't really ever, I mean, I don't know, unless people go in and, and research, what happened to the son. Did he, uh, something happen? Uh-huh. And he became a girl or, you know, what's, you know, what's going on? So that, I think, is a big <sighs> surprise and a shock for a lot of people. Was it? I mean, was it to you to find out that Gordon had a? I, you know, this is Batman Year One, right? So I figured 
she just wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. Babs just wasn't born yet. Yeah. Well, uh, the, Matthew, go there, ahead. there's something going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barbara Gordon isn't actually his biological daughter unless exactly. they've changed her backstory. No, they haven't, as far as I know. Yeah, but the the way that I remember it, and granted, my version may be a pre-crisis version. Gordon's son was named Tony, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And something something happened where he actually, I want to say he went bad or became a corrupt cop himself. Mm. I don't know. But that was, uh, by the time this book came around, and remember, this comes out post-Crisis on Infinite Earth. So right. this is really the first telling of how the Batman of that new reality came together. And I read it myself in the original <laughs> issue. But you had to have that going for you, which is nice. Yeah. Well, and so what, uh, so fill us in then, Matthew, on what is the story you think that uh, Gordon's son went bad. How did, where does Barbara Gordon come from then? I want to say that he adopted Barbara Gordon. Yeah. I thought it was his, um, like one of his, it was a, she's a blood relative hmm. that was adopted into the family because of something parents like died, that. something, something along those lines. And again, there's been a lot of changes to that, but I want to say that at some point it was like, what maybe it's his niece. Yeah. 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 That that sounds right. Mm-hmm. But in in either case, I mean, Barbara, the whole thing when I was reading this was I'm like, oh, great, we're going to have, you know, he's going to be Barbara and Barbara is going to be born at the end of this. And it's going to be a nice tie into Batgirl. Right. Now, granted, this is 1986, Seven. 87. Yeah. So I don't yet have my 30 years of comic book experience to go. Mm-hmm. Ha 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 ha. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you get to the end of that series and it is a boy, you know, it is kind of startling or actually the end of like the second issue right but there's one thing that i had not remembered until this most recent rereading mm-hmm. and again you know batman year one we get a set of this it turns up you know every two or three months at the store and we'll sell it quick i mean this series flips so i haven't actually sat down and read this probably since uh college 1987 yeah yeah well no college was five six years after that but uh, it starts on page two of issue 404. Mm-hmm. The cursive handwriting is so annoying and so yeah. hard to read. I mean, I'm literally trying to slog through this, and I'm I'm seeing all the parts that I remember mm-hmm. and all the good stuff, but I'm just like, my God, that font is so distracting and so annoying. Yeah, it does, it does become annoying in, in a lot of spots, but I don't know how often that was was used in comics back then. I mean, now it's very it common. Wasn't. I mean, that's why you see, I mean, Thor, they did that back in, with Marvel. I mean, right. you see his, mm-hmm. his uh, font change, his style change when he talks. His, his yeah. dotty font. Well, yes. At, at this point in comics, all of the writing was actually done by hand mm-hmm. by guys who would go in and physically write the, the stuff on the page. They would the go. Yeah, letters would go in, and usually before the colorists. And they would take those pages and they would literally ink letters on the page. So I don't know if this is Mazzucchelli's handwriting or if it's somebody else. Who actually handles the letters on this? Uh, Let me see. I was just getting ready to look that up on the page. It may be be Mazzucchelli because I I believe he did. Didn't he do the colors on this as well? I'm trying to find a page here in the uh, in the issue. I'm actually what prompted me to kind of bring this up. I know we've talked about it before, and many of the uh, listeners of the show have commented that we should check it out before. It is actually 
DC has put it up on the Comixology app uh, and also on their DC app for the iPad mm-hmm. and the iPod Touch. So that's what got me back into it. Uh, but, Todd you know, Klein yeah, does the letters. Some of these pages are not uh, not available. Colorist was Richmond Lewis on that. And Denny yeah. O'Neill doing the editing. So, um, right. you know, I... Th- to me, this ended up being more, and going back to what Rodrigo had said, um, you figured something was up, and that something obviously becomes clear when Gordon gets involved with um, Barbara Essen, or uh, Sarah Essen. Yeah, mm-hmm. Sarah Essen. Uh, one of his other detectives, which is also kind of a clue, and it's nice because I think right away, if I remember correctly, uh, year one was adopted as canon mm-hmm. at, at this time. Now, year two, which is something we haven't read, I think has only recently been uh, labeled as canonical. After uh, after beautification, I got canonized. Yes, <laughs> had to perform four miracles, <laughs> yeah. and uh, right. then it got in. Um, I believe the first miracle was selling a hundred thousand. <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting about this is we see this relationship with S and form in the pages here, mm-hmm. and it's not until uh, when was it Cataclysm or right around Cataclysm when Sarah comes back to Gotham City. And starts up a romance again with Jim Gordon, and they get married, and she's ultimately murdered uh, mm-hmm. later in the story. And, gosh, wasn't there a line in Dark Knight Returns that that mentions Sarah? I want to mm-hmm. say somewhere along, oh, Sarah, my, my dear Sarah, what happened to Sarah? I, there was something along that line. So there is some big building and ties going on with these characters. Uh, and so it's interesting to see how that those relationships form in this book. Yeah. And to me, this book seemed to be a lot more Jim Gordon-oriented than Batman-oriented. I, I think it's both, but it, you run into the problem of Jim actually being a very human and relatable character. Right. Whereas, yeah. you know, uh, and, well, and doing things the way a, a well-adjusted human being to a large extent would do it. Right. You know, Bruce Wayne is kind of nuts. Oh, yeah. I mean, so he is over he, the top because we see him yeah, kicking he, a tree down in the he first He comes issue. across... Like when you go back and forward between Bruce Wayne and Jim Gordon, mm-hmm. it's it's actually kind of natural to follow the character that's most relatable, and it's you know it's not that hard to relate to Bruce Wayne. I think he's mm-hmm. well written in this mm-hmm. in this book. You know, as a, as a young man trying to find his niche, um, but Jim Gordon just got so much more going on. What do you think of? Uh Bruce's first outings when he goes down to uh, when he dresses up as, as Al Pacino, as, yeah, Scarface, yeah, and goes down. I, and... Go ahead. I love that first interaction. Love it, where he goes in and he has the whole thing scouted and he knows what's going to happen, and he has that that whole aspect of I am the Batman and I'll, I figured out fifteen ways out of this situation, and he doesn't figure on Holly stabbing him in the in the leg. Right, he didn't figure that he's trying to no. save these these uh, streetwalkers, these hookers, the prostitutes, and by you know beating up their pimp, and then they turn on him. Yeah, this whole sequence and this whole book really coming out in eighty seven. For me, reading it, it is firmly cemented in 1979. Yeah. This is all about, you know, taxi driver for me. Mm -hmm. So I love the fact that you see these 70s era cars or late 70s era cars and you see them, you know, Gotham City, where Selena lives, is essentially New York's 42nd Street, Times Square. Right. At the worst part of Times Square's history. Yeah. This brings up something else that I have a question about. Okay. Holly. Yes. I think this That's is the Holly. first. This is the first appearance of Holly Robinson, not that Holly Robinson. 
Right, who eventually mm. becomes Catwoman in the one year later books. Right. Okay. That was what I wasn't sure yeah, this, of. And this I, is I, her I first this is her first appearance. Okay. So that was kind of neat for me looking at that and going, hey, wait a minute, is that the same Holly? But you know, I, I love the fact that there are real consequences for Batman because he's overconfident at one point. Right. But also because, you know, he doesn't take into account he doesn't he he cannot conceptualize the depths to which those people live. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that you know we take 8 years of growing up sheltered with all the things that money can buy in the Wayne household and then going off to be trained by Rachel Ghoul in the Alps with blue flowers or whatever happens, <laughs> right, you know. Right. Right. The 20 years in between we don't see he comes into Gotham City and it's clear that even having grown up here, he is just as alien, if not more, than Jim Gordon transferring in from Detroit or wherever. Mm-hmm. I love the consequences. I love the fact that he doesn't think about it. There's there's a sequence where he's he jumps out at somebody and they're supposed to be frightened, and it's a cop who shoots him in the chest. Yeah, yeah. Blam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, I think I think that happens in the second issue, which again, this is the point where Batman has discovered his bad outfit mm-hmm. and he's again he's trying to control situations that he can't control with fighting on the rooftops and it's it is putting the scare into some people but it's also got the police and the officials all up in arms because they know that at some point batman is going to come after them and so they need to put a stop to it so who else to put in charge than the golden boy jim gordon and and we start to see moments in this series where batman and jim gordon start to recognize one another and saying hey i there's something about this person that I need to watch is mm-hmm. what Bruce Wayne says about, about Jim. And likewise, Gordon is saying, Hey, you know, this guy, I've been told to apprehend him, but I'm not going to go completely out of my way to bring a building crashing down on top of his head. He's going to let his other crazy supervisors and, and other members of the force try to blow up a building and, and crash it down well, on him. He actually tries to act, but there there's a moment where he realizes that they're about to firebomb him. Right. And I think that happens in issue three after Batman pees himself. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. We do get this uh, second issue. 405 is the one that, uh, the wi- the widening gyre, uh, gyre, gyre. Uh, picks up on with, uh, the flashback to this part where he crashes in on a big, uh, mob boss, uh, political get together and essentially right. scares the crap out of them, and he wets himself because the bomb was too shocking. <laughs> Again, I go back, and I had read not, this. Not actually in this book. No, this not is, actually in this book. Yeah. I had read this issue just prior to this whole Kevin Smith brouhaha mm. that people stirred up. And I got to say, the way in which Batman presents himself and introduces himself to what are essentially his arch foes at this point, mm. I thought was very dramatic and very, ooh, that's that's a spooky that's some that's some deep deep stuff that he's pulling out on these guys to really put the fear of god into them and then you read this issue six where and then i pissed myself and then it just kind of deflates everything that's going on about this cool scene yeah you should excuse the expression it really takes the piss out of the scene but exactly it it also it completely undermines what is a very well-constructed dramatic sequence. And that sequence right there, the three pages leading up to the explosion and Batman, Mm -hmm. you have eaten well, reminds me of no one so much as Alex Toth. And I think it's intentional uh, that, that Mazzuchelli, Mazzuchelli is doing this whole riff where when he breaks through the wall and he's got that heavily shadowed, he kind of, you know, resembles 
Alex Toth's Space Ghost designs and Alex Toth's work on Batman. I love that whole sequence mm-hmm. with those heavy blacks. Well, and rereading also, it, I am now officially unhappy with the Kevin Smith story that I haven't read. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing that's interesting about that final panel is, and I don't think it was ever pulled out in this, in, man, I don't know at what point we learned that um, uh, Thomas Wayne had dressed up as Zorro. Mm-hmm. For the Halloween that that Bruce enjoyed so much, do you remember that story, Matthew? I remember it from the Batman cartoon. Okay, well, in this last panel before Batman snuffs out the uh, the flambe, you look mm-hmm. at it and it's t- the shadow being cast on his face is Thomas Wayne's mustache with that Zorro mask, and so it's like you know it's almost like referencing hmm. you know his father in that in that one panel. Otherwise, there is really no reason to shadow the lip in such a way to create that mustache. Interesting. Well, I, I, I think you may be reading too much into it because I, I think I in the be, comics, I, yeah. in the comics, he had that, the, the, the little bat suit that Dr. Hurt wears. Right. Is the only thing that I remember. And he wore it to a costume party when Bruce was a kid. Okay. Well, and, and you might just man. be reading the father aspect into this. This might be, I mean, this might be a Zorro reference mm-hmm. just as Zorro. It could be. This is Batman be modern day Zorro. Yeah, you're right. Could very Which, well again, be. ties into that whole Toth thing, because Alex Toth drew Zorro back in the day. Ooh. So we get to uh, issue 406, and this is the one where um, Catwoman is, is angry because everyone is saying that Batman and Catwoman have hooked up and that they're doing things together. Um, but and, not in that way. Yeah, but not in that way. And then also... Um, <laughs> this is the one where the police force tries to destroy Fire Batman, bomb. firebomb him by bringing down what they call a derelict in an abandoned building down on top of Batman's head. And this is about the only time that things really start to work for Batman where he's anticipated, oh, I need to hide here, I need to do this, I need to do that. But even then, like within killed. the first minute, he loses his utility belt. Right, right. I mean, this is this is really, like, this is good... Batman, like Batman on his toes, well written. You know, you think it's like, this is Batman yeah. being most human? I, I don't. Uh, the humanity of it kind of doesn't matter. I mean, the the times when the Doctor is awesome mm-hmm. um, aren't necessarily his most human, but there are those times when you can see the gears spinning in his head, right? And I think mm-hmm. it's the same thing for Batman, mm-hmm. um, okay. where he's like. I lost my utility belt. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What do I have? I have... A cat? Yes, I have a cat, a dart, <laughs> a handkerchief, and a bunch of bricks. Right. And, he how, and then he, how am I going to take out an entire home? Home. Yeah, Exactly. And that's that's what's cool. You know, and, and a lot of... I think a lot of writers have misinterpreted that coolness as, you know, Batman can work him, his way out of any situation by simply constructing some... Basically one of those... Uh, Machine, like basically by constructing right. a mousetrap machine, right? right. But he does, uh, or d- worse, but he does punch a cop through a, a brick wall. He does. So you yes, but that's going. a cop who tried to kill a cat in cold blood. <laughs> yes, too. exactly. But it, it, the the worst part of it for me, it always breaks down to I was here twenty minutes ago. It, it, it's exactly that moment where Bill and Ted are being chased, and they're like, "Remember a trash can? Remember a trash, trash can? can?" Yep. And the trash can falls on the guy's head. Right. You know, it, you can do Batman. F- and this is, in fact, a story of Batman 
being making a miraculous escape and getting out of something through you know pre planning and being brilliant, but he without having it be Deus Ex Machina. But he doesn't come out unscathed because he does get shot. Oh, yeah. He is dead. He is injured. Uh, but he does kind of pull out a uh, Deus Ex Batica in the form <laughs> of of that moment that we see in the Batman Begins movie where he calls the bats forth to create confusion but so that he can flee. Here's the thing, though. They that happens. At, like that happens at the beginning of the next volume, right? Uh, the, no, it, it happens in this in this oh, third happens issue. In, in at this the end third of this one? third issue. Okay, yeah. um, there is enough time. It's not like he presses the button and the bats show up, right? I mean, you yeah, know, there's the, you have to within wait. within reason, right? There's it, it's it's believable. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're gonna make up this crazy technology that attracts bats, sure, um, <laughs> but it's believable that he presses it and then basically has to. You know, sing and dance and vamp for twenty minutes until mm-hmm. his bats show up. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, no pun intended, I guess, on the vamp. But, but. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, but you know what's what is kind of cool as we get into this, leading up into this final issue, we do see that the pressures on Jim Gord- Gordon to um, to comply, to mm-hmm. be a to be a player, to you know, dirty himself up, get him in trouble because he's got to talk to his wife and say, "Hey, look, I've been." Having an affair, I've got to break off this affair. It didn't go to, you know, we only see the kissing in the alley uh, aspects. We don't mm-hmm. see them actually doing anything beyond that, holding hands and kissing. Uh, but that's something that weighs heavily on him. I also like the fact that very early on, people are like, hmm, if someone's going to dress up and all this stuff and, and have all these yes. these uh, utility things, uh, who could that be? Well, let's narrow that list down. Huh, you know who could do that? Batman. Uh, Bruce Wayne Bruce could Wayne, do that. yes. Let's go investigate Bruce <laughs> Three Wayne. Three pages in, they're like, you know, this guy's probably Bruce Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like how they concoct the story that, and they've got to pay a bunch of people off, that he's been skiing in the Alps and he broke his leg and that explains the bullet his wound. Injuries, yeah, yeah. His injuries. Yeah, his injury. Mm-hmm. So he can wear a cast. But it's it's, I like that we have to see Bruce Wayne figure out a way to cover up who he is, to hide who he is. Yep. And it also, I also like it in the fact that Harvey Dent, who we do see in this series and Jim Gordon are like, you know, let's go talk to Bruce Wayne. Yep. You know, it's just, it's just something that, you know, the cops aren't really stupid. And I, that comes into the question in this last issue that I want to bring up. Do you think Jim Gordon knew from year one, who Batman was and who Batman is. Um, I think that you lose, other than, you know, if you read other people's, like, and really that's that's where you get the problem is when other writers decide yes or no um, mm-hmm. and then write it that way. Well, I'm asking but you yes or no because I the think, reason I ask this. I think that you lose absolutely nothing one way or the other. I think if Gordon knows from the beginning... It's a cool story. Mm-hmm. I think if Gordon is actually convinced, it's also a cool story. Like mm-hmm. it, it just adds. Like one makes Gordon slightly cooler, and right. one makes Batman slightly cooler. Right. But either way, for me, if if they if uh, the writers or DC comes out and says he did not know, then I don't care either way. Right. But the only reason I ask is because there's a moment when Bruce Wayne, who is not in his Bat gear goes to try to follow and protect Gordon because he knows that there's a hit out on him. Gordon's son is kidnapped and the wife is kidnapped too. Uh, And it looks like, you know, they're going to kill uh, Jim's family. Mm -hmm. And there's a scuffle. Jim loses, quote unquote, loses his glasses. 
Um, yes. And Bruce Wayne, with helmet off, um, rides a bicycle and catches up to speeding cars, mind you. Nice. Dives off of a bridge and catches Gordon's falling son. And in that panel, what does Gordon say? After the kid is saved, he's like, that's right, uh, good boy, settle down, you're safe now. You must be wearing some armor under that jacket. And Bruce Wayne says, yes. You know, I'm partic- I'm practically blind without my glasses. Sirens are coming. You'd better go. You better go. Yep. And I really seriously doubt with the way that he handles himself that he is totally blind in that scene. I think he sees Bruce Wayne's face and knows who Batman is from that moment and makes a mental decision of you've saved my son. I owe you everything. This is, this is, I'm going to let you go and consider this payback. And we're just never going to mention it ever again. Yeah. See, I don't even know if I would think it a a consider this payback At, at one point. Bruce is skiing and he clearly thinks I need Jim Gordon. And I really think that in that moment, Gordon is looking at it from the other side. Mm -hmm. He and he and Bruce are doing the same thing from opposite angles and together they can not only clean up crime, but they can clean up the Gotham city PD. And I think it's that moment where, you know, it's, it's clear to me in my head, he is saying here, you know, here's your out. Right. I'm practically blind without my glasses. You should go. Well, mm-hmm. and note note that there are, despite the fact that at the beginning of the series, um, you know, you kind of have to, like, the characters have to duck to not hit a uh, thought box. Right. There are none here. So you actually don't know what the characters are thinking. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So, Matthew, what do you think? You think he knows? I think he knew from the beginning. Okay. I think that the moment where he says, let's go check with Bruce Wayne is a hunch and it plays out through the series where it's clearer and clearer as he goes. There's a scene in the very first one where he nearly gets hit by Bruce Wayne speeding in the Porsche. And they're like, that's Bruce Wayne's car. You know, from that moment, I feel like this is all just a really good detective piecing together what's going on. And it comes to the point at the end where he's like, he has the answer. He knows who Batman is and I think that leads into why he makes the decision that he does mm-hmm. to become the commissioner and become complacent in whatever theoretical crimes that Batman does. I don't I, I have to go back, but I know it's during the whole cataclysm, during the whole war on Go- war for Gotham series after uh, Sarah dies and Jim is grieving and he's upset that um, Bruce comes to him. And is willing to take off his mask and show him, but Gordon refuses to turn. And I, I really, I can picture the scene in my my head, but I can't remember the words. Mm. And I, and I, I want to say that Gordon said something to the effect of "You don't have to do this. I know," yeah. kind of thing. I, that's what I, I remember. Somebody else out there listening will probably correct me on that. I, I think it's another one of those moments where you can read into it. You yeah, don't have to. That I know. Sure. But to me, the story is stronger if Gordon is just as much a hero as Bruce Wayne. If Gordon on the inside, the family man, yeah, he's flawed. Yeah, he, you know, he slept with a woman that he shouldn't have. But Gordon working from the inside against, and I think the first fight scene we get is not uh, Batman at all, but it's Jim Gordon taking down Lieutenant Plass because mm-hmm. the guy, you know, is double crossed him. Yeah. 
you know, I, I, it, to me, it works better. I think it's a it's a greater story with these two men finding common ground from different sides of the equation and coming together to create Batman. Well, because are... Batman without C- Commissioner Gordon is right. not the same character. The interesting thing about tackling a year one story and really the other year ones that that DC has put out the uh, the Robin year one and the Batgirl year one. I think those went six or 12 issues. I, it's one of those two. Um, but the interesting thing about being able to do a year one soft reboot of Batman without going back and renumbering mm-hmm. it, but you know, detective comics one or Batman number one is that you get to introduce the first appearances of a lot of characters. So Holly Robinson, we see the first appearance of Holly Robinson. We see how Catwoman becomes Catwoman and, and living on the, uh, the East end and everything. We are introduced for the first time to Carmine Falcone, who later, is uh, played out in the um, the, long the long Halloween, which remind me, Rodrigo, who did the long Halloween? Who wrote the long Halloween? Loeb, Jeff Loeb. Jeff huh. Loeb. There is a character in here called Commissioner Loeb. I yeah. don't know if there is a uh, if there is a well. Subtle... And what's his first name? Because that that was a thing too. Do you do you remember? Jillian uh, B. Loeb is is his name in here, and this is his first appearance um, in in this book. So it's not like Jeff Loeb, but I just find it's an odd coincidence mm-hmm. that here's a character that you intentionally name Loeb, and then as the universe collides and yes. things fold in upon themselves, Loeb ends up writing uh, a, a great story based on characters created in year one that featured Commissioner Loeb. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, th- we do get to really start to see that, um, and at the end of this, at the end of this uh, four issues, we do get introduced that, hey, there's some guy out there calling himself the Joker, right? right? We never see the whole Red Hood story play out at all anywhere in this first year. It's not even referenced. Um, but we do, uh, where was I going here? Um, we do get to see that it's not Batman fighting, you know, crazy, insane Joker, Riddler, all these guys, but it's Batman taking on the mob and taking on organized crime, which is very much what Batman Begins was all about. Mm -hmm. And it's not until we get to the Dark Knight year two that the Joker is introduced into this. And again, uh... Batman Begins did have the Scarecrow in it. Yeah, you're right, it did. But yeah. a lot of it was... And did we it saw have two f- villains in it? Yes. Well, it had Rajah yeah, Ghoul, who is kind of not a villain. For, like It's like right. he's not a villain, and then he flips. Right. And then you have the uh, the Scarecrow, who is mostly a villain, and then just kind of turns into a wuss when uh, the girl from Dawson's right Creek right. Uh, tases him. Yeah. But we do see, though in that Batman Begins, that there is a lot of, I want to really take on organized crime. Mm-hmm. This guy over here is getting in my way that dresses up as a scarecrow. Ra's al Ghul is this necessary evil that I have to deal with because he trained me kind right. of thing. But uh, it's interesting that a lot of those characters also appear in, in Batman Begins. Well, well, there's one thing that... Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. As far as, you know, one thing that, that comes to mind, and a couple of the comments had mentioned this, too, mm-hmm. uh, how this takes place within the confines of the Batman title. Right. This was four months of the Batman book. Mm-hmm. But it, it, there's also, you know, people are people are impressed that it's not a limited series unto itself. But there's also the question of, in 1987, the limited series, the miniseries, had barely... There were Even, very few. I mean, I'm mm, trying to think of first, when The Cult the, came out. The Cult was 91, I believe. Oh, no, I but was the, still in. The first limited series was like 1978 or 79. 
So, I mean, it, w- when we look at it from the perspective of why was this told in the book instead of as a limited series, right. at the time, if you wanted to tell a story about Batman, you told that story in the Batman book. Yeah, The Cult came out in 19, 1988, and that's a prestige format book, which means that you had to do a lot of special things for that book and charge mm-hmm. a much higher price. The other thing is, and something that we probably ought to address at some point in the future on one of the shows is, why don't we have annuals anymore? Because annuals were the places where you told the origin of Mm -hmm. Tim Drake and how his family was captured and and mother killed. Um, Annuals are where we had these big kind of reveal type stories going on. We were we had annuals back then, but this mm-hmm. was something that may not have been able to fit into the annual. I'm kind of glad that they did yeah. keep it contained into those four issues saying, hey, we're taking a break. And I would have to go back and Math- Matthew, maybe you remember um, Batman mm-hmm. number 403. What was going on there? Wasn't um, 403 one of the Jim Starlin issues? Yeah, it looks like but, 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 it was written by Max Collins. Denny Cowan, Cowan, Dennis Cowan. Yeah, so I don't see exactly what this story is uh, about. It's one too many Batman, or one one Batman too many was the issue of four hundred three. Uh, but after uh, that, uh, after that, they do take a break, and then they go into two uh, flashback storylines. The first one being Year One. And then 408 and 409 are retcon stories, which reimagines Batman's first encounter with Jason Todd. So, you know, they were doing something in in that time period to say, hey, we need to take a break and see what's going on in the Batman universe. But it seemed like at that time it was a natural break to right. go in and to, to tell these stories. Well, I'm glad. And even in 87, Batman had two monthly books. Right. Batman and Detective. And mm-hmm. let me see. I there was say, also World's Finest in 87. Yes, there was World's Finest, and in 87, we also had a little book, oh, not until 89, a little book called Legends of the Dark Knight. <laughs> but yeah, yeah there, were, was, there were two places to get your Batman stuff, and that was it, uh, and save for some of these prestige stories. So I'm glad they did it. I mean, the art, I think, is fantastic. The story <coughs> is wonderfully told. Yeah. It's not all about, you know fancy gadgets and biff bam boom it's a story about people yep. and how people change in this city uh larry king chicago uh, i was able to get the four issues for 25 cents from a guy who didn't know what he had i had heard of year one seen some of year two and three but was put off by them uh after paying the man i read the comics and oh did i love them the characterizations of rookie batman knocking around was the best frank miller had to offer since now he's taken a one-way ticket to crazyville uh, but as I glanced over the mesmerizing artwork, which was my first time seeing his work, it took me aback. This is Gotham. This is Gordon. This is Batman the way they're supposed to look. It gelled so well together. A fantastic origin story with heart and soul. In my opinion, this is far better than Frank Miller, Miller's other praise Batman work, that of The Dark Knight Returns, and rightfully so. Rodrigo, do you think this is better than Dark Knight Returns? Uh, see, it's different, though. It's it's almost like it's two separate characters. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I get it's it's Batman at the front and end of his career, right? So I mean, it's like I don't know. It, it is. It's almost like an alternate reality. It's mm-hmm. you know, what if Batman was a kid, and what if Batman was an old man? Right. I think they're too different to really compare them. One of them is basically post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. 
And the other one, it takes place after Boogie Nights. <laughs> or probably right before, actually. Batman Year One came out on the heels of the critically acclaimed Miller Daredevil Born Again story and Masuchelli's uh, Born Again story. Much like Daredevil has never, uh, much like Daredevil has never really moved away from Born Again, Batman has been forever tied to Year One. Whether it's the Long Halloween or Batman Begins, creators seem to th- uh, like to dip back into the into the well Miller and Masuchelli created. I don't know if there's been such a defining Batman story other than Miller's Dark Knight Returns. Things I appreciated about this story arc. Instead of being a mini-series like The Return of Bruce Wayne or Flash Rebirth, it's just four issues. It also, it was a soft reboot, unlike what occurred with uh, Burns' Superman, Perez's Wonder Woman, or the Hawkworld miniseries. Oh, good lord, let's not even mention that. <laughs> uh, other than backing away from the prostitute angle of Selena Kyle, this re- reboot has pretty much stuck since 1987, whereas we've had at least two different versions of Superman's origin in the same time period. That is as much story about Jim Gordon. Let's see, that is... As much a story that about Jim, it is as much ah, a story about Jim Gordon as it is a story about a young Bruce Wayne. In many ways, I find Gordon's story much more compelling. Good man, uh, Matthew. Do you? Uh, what do you think uh, on any of this? Do you think this is something that this people is, have? I mean, there have been some retoolings of the Batman origin story. I mean, Zero Hour was certainly one. Widening Dyer, <laughs> yeah, Widening Dyer is a, is another one. Tool being the operative word there. Um, for me, this is, and again, I am generally not a Batman fan. This is Batman that works. I thought everybody was a Batman fan. And that's where you have to look at this thing where, stop it. But <laughs> I, it, for me, Batman works best in certain stories. I'm not a Superman fan either. I'm not a Fantastic Four fan. But there are Fantastic Four and Superman and Batman stories that I can't help but love. This is a better book for me than The Dark Knight Returns simply because this is building something that we know is going to turn into something that we can all tell you about. Anybody can say, ah, I'll tell you about your Batman, see? Even, you know, my, my six-year-old can tell you about Batman and his name really being Bruce Wayne. But for me, it's a good story in that it it's... When, you, when it's called Batman Year One, it's about the building of the myth. It's not about... How, you know, how Bruce Wayne came to be. That story is a different story entirely. That story is, you know, a nine-year-old kneeling in blood in an alleyway. This is the story of how everything that we associate with Batman, the, you know, the signal, the commissioner, the whole thing of him, you know, working with the police but not working with the police, and Gotham City being a cesspool of filth and violence filled with whack jobs who turn their proclivities into costumed identities. You know, all of this is more than just one rich guy with a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And this is not the story of how a rich guy with a motorcycle puts on a suit. It's how Bruce Wayne is building something and Jim Gordon is trying to make this world a better place. And it all comes together. And, you know, you get this magical alchemical reaction somewhere in the middle where, you know, Wayne needs somebody on the inside and Gordon needs somebody who can act outside the law. And it all comes together in this beautiful way that's filled with teenage hookers and all of this horror. And of course a flock of bats, which I'm not sure I entirely bought, but Hey, what are you going to do? You know, the flock of bats angle for me is one of the silliest parts of the book. And even that works. (laughs) And I ran exactly so far away. (laughs) What do you think of uh, the follow-up just very quickly, Matthew, what do you think of the follow-up Batman year two? That has since been written out of uh, continuity. (sighs) Year and two. You know, is... the problem with year two is 
this is where we start to see the capes and the uh, the super six pack that you can see through the clothing and the over the top year Reaper two, character. Year two is going back to the well once too often. Year two is literally wow. This year one book sold really well. Let's do it again. Yeah. And if and year then, two had worked, then we get year three, and then we well, get we did year have four. a year. I think we did have year three. We also had Batman Full Circle, which was a Joe Chill story, which um, was actually pretty good. You know, with, really, uh, the, if you if you look at it, and I actually haven't read year two, but uh-huh. you look, you know, there's Batman Year One, and if you want a good year two story, it's the Long Halloween. Mm-hmm. It's it's that transition from the mob to the right. freaks right and that that brings you the next piece of what batman is is his yeah. psychotic villains you know i'll go back and and say again i really like i didn't like it at first um the miller lee uh, asbat the all-star batman and robin story mm-hmm. uh it's it is a year three story okay um in the sense that that's when robin comes on board i didn't like it but if you think about what's going on here we have Year one, starting to get the feel for things. Year two, hey, starting to kick some ass and being, you know, the big head honcho. Year three, I going am Going crazy, the man. becoming a psycho misogynist, jumping around, calling kids retards and screwing women in full costume. Yeah, because I am pumped full of that adrenaline and pumped full of myself, which then, if you think about it, leads naturally to the end of Dark Knight Returns. And let's just not mention Dark Knight <laughs> Returns, too. Okay. Um, Dark, there was no sequel to the Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, Dark Knight Two or whatever it was called in your continuity. There was no sequel to the. So, Dark Knight. Matthew, give me a um, give me a final conclusion of um, thoughts on this book. I'd call it a must read. Okay. Even if you don't like Batman, this is a good story. Um, if you can get past some of the annoying fonts. You know, the, the cursive works against it. Some of the craft of the whole thing has gotten, it hasn't entirely aged well, but the story itself is still fascinating, and it's actually really, really good. Yeah, I would agree. This is something that, uh, even if you don't really care about Batman, pick it up and read it, because I think you'll find it fascinating mm-hmm. uh, just from the way that they deal with things. Um, so it's, it's a must-read on my list. It's, it's, a good, it's a good crime story. Which is probably what what that's what really sells it for me. It's it's about you know crooked cops and mm-hmm. street pharmacists and <laughs> yeah. night walkers and stuff like that. Twelve so, year old hookers. Yep. So that's that's really what's cool about it. Um, in the end, it does kind of slowly turn into Jim Gordon's story. And it's funny that you know if you if you were to pitch year one to someone, is like okay, it's a Batman story, right? Right. It's a story in which this awesome detective. Um, with with previous uh, training, starts to clean up Gotham with a little help from his friends, and you know, but that's Gordon, not Batman, right? Um, so that's it, that that about it is interesting. Um, and honestly, now I it's it's funny because it's not only is it good, but it's also has become a poster child for the terrible retcon mm-hmm. for somebody going back and literally pissing on it right just to kind of make something funny out of it you know as an offhand comment mm-hmm. um which is very sad 
although it could lead to a pretty interesting thing where Batman just goes on and on about times <laughs> that he's pissed himself. And then one time like, I was up in re- the rain. Remember that time when Bane broke my back? <laughs> oh, I pissed myself. I, I shat myself. Yeah. Uh, I remember that time when I got transported to the past and there was an, another Justice League made up of weird stereotypes. I pissed myself. <laughs> I remember that time when the Flash and Superman were raising each other. Uh, I myself. <laughs> you are channeling some Scroll Brian right there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody, that wraps it up for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining us in our discussion of uh, of Batman Year One. Hopefully, you'll go check it out if you haven't. Uh, if you want to know what we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come, head over to Majorspoilers.com. Look on the right side in the column. You will see on the next Major Spoilers podcast, you will see, if you click on that, you will see a uh, listing of all of the shows we have coming next, including next week's Days of Future Past, The Lone Wolf and Cub Volume 1, uh, Marvel 1602, and a lot more. We're going to continue to add to that so that you have a chance to go out and find the source material. Uh, read the source material so that when it comes time for us to do a discussion, you can join us and give us all of these great, fantastic comments that we've had both on the website, through the voicemail, through the email. Matthew, if someone wants to call that voicemail number, what is it? 785-727-1939, the major spoilers. All right, everybody. Next week, we will be doing Days of Future Past, an X-Men 2 issue story. Why are we doing it? Well, because we did Batman, so now we have to do an obligatory Marvel (laughs) title. So we will uh, talk with you next time because we know that you love comics, and we do too. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm Stark Raven, it's like a man of iron. I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major spoiler
Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2010. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.